You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Friday, and this is Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear hotline. You hear the joy in my voice. That's a, that's that's undefeated joy. I'm not going to lie. It's the only thing getting me through every single week. It's mm. just undefeated joy. Is just It's tingling out my toes. It's going out my fingertips. It's it's just it's getting from my nipples all the way down to my knees. That's what's happening. It's going to be that <laughs> sort of day, and that's all I got to say about that. But, Sarah, I'm having a great Friday. I hope you're having a great Friday. I know someone that's not having a great Friday, and his name is one Urban Meyer. And it's not a great Friday because this happened last night. The snap, the put down, the swing of the right leg, the kick is on its way. Yeah! Coffin nails! Bam! 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 How about that? Thursday night football. National audience. Cincinnati Bengals. Three and one, Dan. How about them Bengals? That's ESPN 1530 on the call. Sounded like Matt Jones getting all that work in on the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. It was such a good local call, too. How about that? Yeah, Bill. Let's go, Bengals. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that gets us to Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Because for all of that sort of, oh, my God, I can't believe that's the way it went down. Uh, as much joy as the Bengals have for being three and one, I'm still not sure it's a good three and one. But they're three and one. That's all that matters at this point. Now, I can say there's not a lot of joy for Urban Meyer. This is mm. coach at the press conference uh, getting a little bit in his feels. That's devastating, heartbreaking. You know these guys. Usually I'm not wrong about stuff like that. That I, I just see a good team in there. I see good guys. I see a, good hearts. I see guys at work. And I told them I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong about that stuff. This team's going to win some games. Sarah, I want to believe that they can win games because I root for everybody to have that opportunity. But when you see the body language of Urban Meyer after the game, Mm. I mean, it was troubling to see how much losing just obviously wilts at his soul. Yeah, you know, we had a a chat about this on Around the Horn today, and Bill Plaschke said, I don't know why he's saying this. He should say that this is... This is uh, encouraging. This was a better effort. Trevor Lawrence looked good. They almost won. And I was like, no, 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 Bill. This is heartbreaking because they might not win a game this year. They look at their schedule and they can't say definitively that they're better than anyone. And that includes the Jets. That includes the Falcons. This was a game that they had a big lead in that they did not turn over the ball in once and they still lost. He is envisioning a season without a single win and they are about to have 20 straight when they lose inevitably next week, 20 straight losses. That's why I think this felt so heartbreaking. Everyone's like, why is he so shocked? His team sucks. This is expected because the Bengals aren't that good. And because they had him on the ropes and they let him get away. And that's why I think this hurts so much. And it's going to be joyful for some, I won't name names to watch Urban Meyer squirm every week as he realizes that uh, he is not in the position to be on top anymore. Yeah, well, and and uh, A, you're not wrong about any of that. And B, you know, you got to look at some of this with Urban Meyer. Like, they had fourth and one, uh, fourth and goal from the one-yard line right before the half. They went for the jugular. Like, they went for the jugular. I understand that that logic on it when you're up 14 nothing, trying to go up 21 nothing. They instead walk away with no points. Becomes a really big deal in the final outcome of this game. And there are little moments where you just feel like if they can get one, maybe Urban Meyer believes they can string together something. But 
frankly, the Bengals had a night to forget and still came away with the win. And I, I, I mean, that's got to be part of this. Like Joe Burrow in the first half, not great. Joe Burrow in the second half looked like Joe Montana. And I, I, I just, I, I, it's stunning to see an Urban Meyer team that's just that flat out outplayed every step of the way. I, you, you know, I didn't love this hire, but I'm surprised to see them look so ill prepared to play in a game. You know, I asked Dom that today, Dominique Foxworth, and I said, does it look like from the game calling and the plan and the scheme that it's Urban Meyer failing or is it just a bad team? And he said, for the most part, some of the offense, especially early on, looked pretty antiquated, but it felt like they've improved. And I think we do have to be able to separate Urban Meyer from the product on the field in terms of are they just a bad team that won one game last year and isn't going to be magically fixed just by the addition of Trevor Lawrence and a couple other offseason pieces? So I'm willing to give a little more time before I point the finger at just not being qualified or not having the team ready because they were trash already. I'm just watching him squirm and make statements and be dramatic, and I'm wondering if mentally he's fit for a job that's going to involve this much losing or if we're going to get another brain tumor, heart condition, spend time with my family. Oops, I have a brain thing where I can't remember whether someone was abusing someone or not under my watch and also if my players are criminals thing and he's going to move on to another job. I don't know what you're talking about. That's some straight dog, straight dog wireless, no contract, no compromise. And I'll say, as I said in the sports beat as we were coming in, you know, we talk about quarterbacks and their ability to adjust to not winning because most of them came from a winning culture when they get to the NFL. It'll be interesting to see how Urban Meyer makes that adjustment because it's not going to get better quickly. By the way, Trevor Lawrence, 31-2 in in college uh, in his NFL career uh, and NFL career when leading by 10-plus points. So, uh, obviously, this thing went off the rails for him last yeah. night. Now, speaking of quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson is who we have all eyes on this weekend. Is he going to be able to be healthy? How can he play? Jameson Hensley, the ESPN Ravens, Ravens reporter, gave us this update on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. And listen closely at the end. The Ravens' offense surprisingly ranks 4th in total yards and 11th in scoring. These numbers come with Baltimore's top two running backs out for the season and all-pro left tackle Ronnie Stanley out for the last two games. This shows that the Baltimore offense will remain dangerous as long as Lamar Jackson has the ball in his hands. But is this one-man show sustainable? That's really up to Jackson. This season, he's been pressing at times. Jackson has turned the ball over five times in three games. He's also taking more hits because he's trying to gain those extra yards. What Jackson has to understand is this. The Ravens are a playoff team with Jackson scrambling for those 20-yard runs and throwing those 30-yard completions. If Jackson gets hurt, the season is over. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that was intentional. I don't know if that was post-production, but the drama there, and it's true. Now, the good news for the Ravens is that Lamar Jackson looked, quote, real good. I don't know whose poor grammar that is, but allegedly he looked real good in his return to practice today. He will, uh, the plan is to have him start against the Broncos on Sunday. And listen, this is a big game for two reasons. One, the Broncos have only beaten, as Dominique Fox called them today, defeated teams. Uh, They are all winless, uh, which a new way of putting that is defeated if the Broncos are undefeated. So I'm not really super high on this team. They've done fine. I, if they were to beat this Ravens team, not only would I feel much stronger about the Broncos, but it would give me some real pause about Lamar Jackson's back injury and whether that's going to be in and out all season long. Because, listen, when I hear back flare-up of any kind, I look across multiple sports from big men in the NBA or, or Elena Deladon, for, for that matter, who ended up missing almost the entire season this year to what was supposed to be a, 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 a back injury that she could she could maintain. Um, and I wonder 
as a guy who gets hit as often and runs as much as he does, how sustainable that is all season long. Well, and that's always been sort of part of the conversation, right? Like, how how will Lamar hold right. up through everything? Now, one thing that I really felt after the first two weeks is that you know his slipperiness, uh, the lack of ability to actually get a good hit, would keep him upright. But now we see that that may not be the case. Uh, obviously, speaking of quarterbacks, there's one other quarterback conversation happening everywhere. You've heard it all day, every day, on every single show, on every single network. I'm pretty sure they're even talking about it on Below Deck. Brady is headed back to New England. <laughs> to take on Belichick below deck, just call me. Uh, And it it raises some conversation about, I think, fans and the mindset around fans and what it's like to have a player return. So we want to get, we're going to throw it out on the poll, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz. We're going to ask you guys to get in on the most painful player that ever returned to play your team. That moment that you were like, I can't believe we have to take that guy on or, or girl Speaking on. Speaking of Oh, yeah. Mm. I mean, there are plenty of examples of this and heartbreak all over the place. So we'll embrace that together. You guys can hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz, at uh, Sarah Spain. We'll get you guys in on that conversation as the course of the evening goes on. But in the meantime, coming up, it's week four and for two of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. It's already a must win situation. We'll tell you who, we'll tell you why, and we'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. The ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests will join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Look, it's pressure, and I know it's early in the season, but I think it's about the time where there's a realistic and balanced conversation to have about actual pressure. One thing we don't do on this show is a lot of hot takery. It's not something we're necessarily great at. Uh, and and I tried to avoid that after one week or two weeks. But as you start to get into week four, Sarah, it feels like it's a fair conversation to have about pressure in different games, pressure in different situations, and pressure for different teams facing the beginning of a season that may not be going the way that anybody expected. Yeah, absolutely. And there is a lot to learn this weekend from a couple different teams, uh, namely two teams that I thought – I wasn't so sure about the Seahawks in terms of expectation, but I thought, as usual, when you've got, you know, Pete and Russ together, you're going to be contending, if not, you know, leading your division, at least in it. And the Chiefs, who uh, I had going to the Super Bowl again, and one and two starts. I mean, and for the Seahawks, this is a NFC West showdown weekend. You've got the Rams taking on Arizona, and you've got the Seahawks taking on uh, the 49ers, and you'll really get a look at where those teams shake out. I think that Russ Wilson, if I have this right, has not lost three games in a row during his NFL uh, tenure. Golly, what's that like? Somebody tell me about it. Right, (laughs) right, right. No, but I I think, you know, again, sometimes it's not even about where your team is. It's also about where the other teams in the division are, right? And, you know, you referenced that earlier, but I'm looking at the Chiefs saying one and two uh, on a Kansas City team that has been in both of their losses and, frankly, could easily be 3-0 and right now. But they're not, and they've turned the ball over a lot. And it's been really curious to watch one and two and, and feel like you can feel good about it. Now they go to Philly. And they take on an Eagles team that is not particularly great, right? So this seems like the type of game that they should win. But it's also important that they do win it because they've got games coming up against the Bills and in a couple weeks the Titans and the Packers and the Raiders who look better than we expected. So, like, this is still a difficult schedule for Kansas City. And you got to win the games in front of you that you should win. The Eagles are one of them. So I think it does add a little layer of pressure to Kansas City, not just to win, but also to hold on to the damn ball. 
Well, to win and to win definitively, because this is an Eagles team whose only victory is against a trash Falcons squad Mm. in week one. They lost to the Niners. They lost to the Cowboys. If the Chiefs not only lose again and fall to one and three, but lose to an Eagles team that's not very good or even sneak past, we need to see some actual butt beating by this Chiefs team. It's been a while, I think, since we've seen them really hand it to somebody. And, you know, I... We talk about this a lot, Fitz. The longer I'm in this business, the more I see consensus around things, and I and I get real quiet about that. And I, I said this about the Super Bowl last year. I said this about, uh, you know, a number of different things where everyone leans too far one end. And I think the Patrick Mahomes obsession, not to take away from him as a player at all, but people were ready to hand him 10 straight Super Bowls. No one can ever compete. We were wanting to do the same thing with the Warriors. When will this ever end? There will never be an answer. This is bad for the league. And then, you know, Cleveland comes back from down 3-1. People get hurt. Things get shaken up, and now they haven't won. Now now they're drafting high, right? This prisoner of the moment thing is very real, and I think for the Chiefs, it could get uh, ugly fast in terms of our expectations if they don't figure it out this weekend. Well, especially because we know one way or the other that the the Chargers or Raiders, one team, love barring a tie, is going to pick up a win Monday night, which is only going to create more space between all of them, and Denver is undefeated right now. Now, there's a different kind of pressure when you talk about Brady taking on the Patriots, and, uh, you know, I've seen the reports, I've been talking about it all day, that the average price of this ticket is $1,101, making it the second most expensive Boston event in the last 15 years behind only a Stanley Cup final game. Let me say clearly and loudly to the long-term legacy conversation that we're going to have on Monday all across the board, it's a waste of time. Like, this is just a regular season game, and frankly, these two men will be defined by the Super Bowls that they do or don't win moving forward, not a regular season game. But there's still pressure when you're taking on your former, you know, tag team partner that is now your nemesis. Yeah, completely agree. I think all the pressure is on Belichick. I think it's insane for anyone to think or to say that this means more to Brady than another ring, which one of his former teammates said. I'm sorry, but Tom Brady, when you ask him while celebrating a ring, while still feeling confetti fall on his face, what's his favorite? He says the next one. He wants Super Bowl rings. He already got one without Bill. So, of course, he wants to waltz in and beat them, and he said as much. (laughs) But this is much less important to him than a Super Bowl win. Bill Belichick's not going to win a Super Bowl this year, and maybe not anytime soon. We have to wait and see. So this is his Super Bowl, proving that he doesn't need Tom and that he can beat Tom and he can use all the institutional knowledge he has of working with him for 20 years. This means way more to Belichick. Speaking of Tom Brady, by the way, I did just mention that he said he wants to beat their butts. I think he's been doing some rage therapy to deal with the pressures of this week and the constant questions, because listen to the party voice on this guy. 20 years in New England was incredible. I learned a lot. You know, come down here for a year and a half, I've learned a lot. So I have nothing but incredible thoughts, memories, emotions towards all the kind of football experiences I've had. And that, that's obviously one that was the longest. I still have a lot of great friends there, but they know I want to kick their butt this week. So they'll, they'll, they'll know exactly how I'm feeling once I'm out there. Well, he sounds 64. Uh, yeah, there's no doubt about it. Uh, I mean, I wonder who he's been yelling at in practice that much to get that that vocal. <laughs> Let's you know. go! But I also love the concept of what you said earlier when somebody says this game matters more than a Super Bowl. I would I would challenge to apply the logic then. You know, if Tom Brady is in a Super Bowl and he's lost, who's going to have the courage as you go up in the press conference and say so? 
How about that win over Bill though, week four? Yeah. Like that, that. Yeah, that's what that's what uh, uh, Blackstone said today. He's like when we're when we watch his his ascent to the Hall of Fame and we go to visit his display, it's not going to say won this many Super Bowls, also beat Bill Belichick in week four of the 2021 season. I'm just imagining that you know Brady loses the NFC Championship game and the first question out of the gate is like, so how do you feel about Belichick in week four again? <laughs> like, I mean, there's just got to be. I that- think you could count this season as a success. Yes. Yeah. yeah I mean, we're still talking. <laughs> Like, this is still a positive, right? Like, this goes in the positive memories box. I mean, Well, that- that's what I said today, too, by the way. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain and Jason Fitz. Uh, I said this on Around the Horn. I was like, what do we always hear from players? They're like, there's no special weeks. We don't have anything circled on the calendar. Whatever the next game is, is the most important. There is one game they don't say that about. The Super Bowl! Yeah. That is circled. That's the whole point of playing. So don't try to convince me this means more to him because you want to get the narrative going before Sunday night. Yeah, last time I checked, nobody's taping up a broken leg that's barely hanging on to play week four. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. You could say big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. boat. Visit Progressive.com. Ben Simmons also under some pressure and obviously this is the Mm. big NBA story everybody's talking about but now that Joel Embiid is speaking out to the what he's terming it as selfish there it's just gets weirder and weirder because I understand Embiid speaking out I understand letting emotion carry the moment but he also has to understand that the more he speaks out the less trade value there is like all of this continually Mm -hmm. heaped on reminds us that this isn't going to get fixed and if I'm a GM of another team I'm like please speak more on it now I'll give you a second round draft pick yeah, I mean, here's what I think, and I and I think Simmons, you know, finally caused Embiid to snap. Both Embiid and Doc Rivers said some honest things at the end of the playoffs last year, presumably heat of the moment, frustration of their season ending, and the dramatic and weird way it happened with Simmons standing next to the hoop and not shooting, and not shooting for like six consecutive fourth quarters. You understood then, though, that it was on Simmons to repair a little bit of that and on Doc and Embiid. And Simmons didn't do his part. And so he gave away the leverage by holding out, by openly talking about not wanting to be there, all of that stuff. And so finally Embiid snapped. The, the, the pressure, too, was on the Sixers to figure out what to do today. And they did not pay him his $8.25 million. He was owed 25% of his contract today. Uh, the money was placed into an escrow account, and they will deduct fines that he accrues as the season progresses from that account. And then Monday, with the first preseason game, he will be fined roughly $227,000. He will be fined that for every game he misses going forward. So this is when the rubber hits the road on both sides. Yeah, this is the biggest game of chicken I think we have ever seen in the NBA in a contract dispute between a star and a team. And I cannot wait to see how it plays out because it will be some level of precedent for other teams if they actually dig in and say, nope, we're not going to do anything. We'll get some expertise on it coming up. As we said, a divorce in the making in Philly, but we'll talk to one of our favorite NBA guests about how it will all play out next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We asked you guys some of the players that left and came back in a different uniform that hurt the most. You guys are giving us some good answers here on Spain and Fitz. News from Spain and Fitz Nation as at Rocket Cheddar hit us up on the Dr. Pepper call in line said, Brett Favre, so far, ask me again next year. Ouch. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we know what's yeah. we know what's coming down the pike there. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Keep those coming at Spain and Fitz at Sarah Spain at Jason Fitz. I mean, We're I'm all on... in for Aaron Rodgers being the Vikings quarterback next year. Oh, oh God. Just the same just the same pattern yeah. just for for more meaningless. Follow it. Losses. Just follow it. <laughs> yeah. Uh it's ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM channel eighty. Happy Friday. 
Joining us now on the Goodyear Hotline, Shay Serrano of The Ringer. You can follow him at Shay Serrano. Shay, I've been told that there were two WNBA games last night, but I don't think either you nor I nor Fitz were watching. I don't know that anyone remembers what happened, right? (laughs) No, I didn't see it. I was doing other things. I watched game one. Yeah, me too. I, I saw the, game the one. Game Great one. result. Game, yeah. right, two, game right. two, I was like, I was, I was busy. I was preoccupied. Nobody saw it. We were all very busy. But let's say you had watched it. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. would you be saying now about the Aces' chances against a Mercury team where Diana's playing like she's 25 and BG is working a not-quite-ready-and-in-shape Cambage up and down the court? I feel okay. Because every series, there's a game like this where the other team just can't miss. Brittany and Diana, 19 for 25 for like 62 points. They go, that's not going to happen again. Fingers crossed. You know what I'm saying? So, so I'm just glad we got this game out of the way early in the series. Uh, we don't have to worry about it anymore. Aces and four. I, you know, I knew we were in trouble Ooh. in this game when, mm. uh, when, when, when Diana hit that first shot because she shoves Chelsea Gray. An offensive foul, by the way. Blow the whistle. Oh, she shoves mm-hmm. Chelsea, comes around the pick, and then pulls up for the three, and it, it doesn't even consider touching the rim. And I said, oh, crap. It's I mean, going to be one, one of those nights. And she just kept doing it all, all day. It was awful. It was the worst thing I ever saw. I mean, Shay, <laughs> as your fellow Aces fan on this show, isn't it only fair, though, considering the Aces sort of have – I mean, they shot 47% from three in game one. Like, that's not right. going to happen very well, often, right? Outstanding. That was outstanding. Oh, that was good. Point. I got you. Got you. <laughs> that yep. was fine. Bill, totally normal. Bill, <laughs> Bill and Beer, I feel like he told everybody before every game, hey, don't – if you shoot a three, I'm going to hit you with my car. Because they never shoot any threes. <laughs> and then they came out. Kelsey, Kelsey was awesome. Um you know, Chelsea is Chelsea is Chelsea has been my favorite player to watch uh, this so season, much especially swag. in the postseason. Like she just moves, she just moves in a way. I think I tweeted this the other day during that game after she put Brittany in, a, in the in the blender, and I, like at the top of the key, just crossover pull up. I said, Chelsea Gray looks at every defender like their food, and I love that about <laughs> the way that she plays. It's so it's so great. Uh, Shay Serrano of the Ringer is with us here on Spain and Fitz. Uh, let's talk then about Diana Taurasi. 37 points on 77% shooting in 27 Gross. minutes. Gross. Um, Gross. Just so mean. Uh, eight three-pointers, the second most in the playoff game in WNBA history. I'm looking at some of these old heads, and I know that, listen, uh, Courtney Vanderson's not, not as old as Diana Taurasi, but still, to be a vet like she is and to have a triple-double 18 assists, like these veterans are showing up. Shay, you don't think that's replicable for Diana. I, I'm worried about you if you put that on the air. I don't know that you want to put that on the air. No, listen. Listen, she can do it every single time. I'm just crossing my fingers and hoping that she doesn't. She's one of the, <laughs> she's one of the players. She's one of the players where all you can do is sort like you're perpetually afraid of them. And all you can do is hope that the shot doesn't go in. That's, all, that's it. There's nothing else to be done because she's going to get the shots up. In, in in game one, I think she was like she got up fourteen. She had twenty points in game one when they lost. It wasn't like a like she didn't show up. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, she shot fourteen threes in game one. She's gonna get the shots up. There's nothing you could do about it. You just have to hope that she misses. You also have to hope that Asia do, does what Asia does. Mm-hmm. Asia, a, a, an absolute monster. After after the run in the playoffs last year, I don't know if you were watching last year. Game five against Connecticut to go to the to the finals 
when she just goes nuts. She scores more points than the whole Connecticut Sun in the fourth quarter. She has more assists, rebounds, and blocks combined than any other player in the game. Every time down the court, when that water got dark and deep and cold, she didn't back away. She said, give me the ball. Give me the ball and get out of the way every single time. And she just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. If she plays like that, if Chelsea plays the way she played in game one, if Chelsea plays the way she plays all the time, I feel pretty good. I mean, who's gonna who's gonna beat us? There's a reason we there's a reason we're we won twenty four games. Besides the sky, this season, I mean, yeah, yeah. Let, but let's acknowledge. I mean, you just mentioned besides that, like I feel like we're we're we got a lot to say about the Vegas Aces losing here when they weren't the only team that you know may may or may not have gotten beat last we night. We didn't like, see it. I mean, we didn't, we don't know uh, well, what I mean, the there. sky also lost. So like, mm. sh- better chance of making the finals: Chicago Sky or Las Vegas Aces? Oh, that's not fair. He's biased. Well. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to go aces on that one. But if we're going Chicago Sky or Connecticut Sun, I think you have to give it to Connecticut. Mm. Because they won last night. They wow. won last night, and the MVP had four points. I know. That was won. brutal. Just, I'm, I'm, I'm chalking that up to some tired legs on our vet, Candace Parker, who thankfully at least didn't do too much, and we were still in it enough. Hopefully she'll be rested for Sunday because that's a lot of minutes in game one in that double OT the sky came out strong early, and I was like, oh, they're not tired. And then it started to fade a little bit. So um, Alyssa Thomas was hot. I feel good. We're going to get home in our building. All bets are off, as they say in Vegas. Shea Serrano of The Ringer with us here on the Goodyear Hotline on Spain and Fitz. Hey, while we got you, we do want to ask you about the Ben Simmons situation. What I have found is everybody knows that they both want to leave. Okay? They don't uh-huh. want him. He doesn't want to be there. I think Ben did a terrible job of getting himself out of there expeditiously by not showing up and pretending like he was a good soldier, by not letting them do a little reclamation there. Oh, we're all fine. Everybody's better now. We Heat of the moment comments right after the playoffs, but we don't feel that way. We're obviously better with them. Here's all his great stats. Everybody's happy. Who wants him? Not that the GMs around the league wouldn't know that some of that was farcical. It's just less extreme than what we have right now. And I know Joel Embiid didn't make it any better today, but how do we expect everybody else to behave correctly and and in a way that helps the team when Ben Simmons isn't helping his situation either. Like no one's doing this right. Because Ben doesn't care. But why, why does he want to help the Sixers on his way out? Because he wants to leave. I would be enough. But he wants to leave leave. and it's harder for them to get rid of him because they want to actually get something back. They're going to get a bag of lime Skittles in return for him. That's not good value. Does it shoot threes? You know where Ben (laughs) needs to go? Ben Ben needs to go to San Antonio. Send them to San Antonio. Mm. That's what I say. My beloved Spurs. But remember when we got Tony Parker? He you want shoot. him. Chip, huh. Chip, yeah. If, if, if his thing is he can't shoot, like that's the main problem with him. Give him to Chip England for a few, a few weeks, a couple of months. He turned Tony Parker into a shooter. He turned Kawhi Leonard into a shooter. Like we have the guy who fixes the problem with your guy. Give him to us. Well, Give and if he us. doesn't. It's a good fit for him because uh, Popovich legitimately doesn't believe that three-pointers are part of the game of basketball. He just hey, accepts hey. them because it's the rules. <laughs> All of the pieces here fit. He wants to go to a team where he's going to be the central piece. Come on down to San Antonio. Who are you sending? Baby. Come Who on are you down. sending? Who are you sending? Oh, I don't, I don't care. Take your pick. <laughs> But, but this we I don't know if that'll have. work in the, the in the trade. I don't know if that'll work in the in the trade. Put that uh, in the trade machine. Machine. Just click yeah. a little scroll down. I don't care no, anybody. <laughs> you can't have Dejounte. Uh, you can't have Vassal, and you can't have Josh Primo because I haven't seen him play, and I think he's going to be great. Um, th- we'll keep those three, and you can have anybody else. 
in exchange for Ben Simmons. Is there anybody in your mind Philly could get realistically get in return today that would make them a better team in a trade? No. I mean, like not realistically. I could throw you. Sure, if you have Kevin Durant, you're better. But like a like a a, a one for one type of trade, that's not gonna that's not gonna happen. It's just not. Yeah, no one's gonna be willing to get rid of yep. a good quality player uh, that that doesn't have the same flaws that he does. But it is it is uh, absolutely accurate that they need to get him out of there. It's not the right fit. Hey Shay, thanks yeah. for the insight. Uh, we all look forward to the WNBA returning for the first time since a few days ago on Sunday, and we'll all be watching it then. Good luck to your aces. Thanks, brother. Later. Shay Serrano, brought to you by Goodyear, with you for every mile on the road to greatness. Goodyear, more driven. By the way, Shea Serrano's got a new book coming out. I don't know if you uh, already have any of his fits, but I have two of his previous books. They are very good. Yeah. And Hip Hop and Other Things is out on October 26th. Uh, I believe his pitch is Buy It or Go to Hell. So, uh, Which I'm not mad about. I think that's a pretty good pitch. pitch. Yeah, like you can that. pre-order it at Shea Serrano on his Twitters where you can get it. Really good books. Hip Hop and Other Things is the new one. Coming up, Fitz is the hottest bachelor on the market, and he's got a couple MLB Ooh. teams. He's going to take on a date or maybe send home. Spain and Fitz next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Still serving you up some tunes from the Super Bowl halftime that was announced yesterday. Although that always makes me think of the uh, LeVar Ball, uh, the uh, Welcome to Lithuania, that super creepy video. You are so right about that. It does every time. They really hijacked that Kendrick to make me think of that weird video. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Insurance for motorcycles, boats, and RVs for protection on the road and on the water. See how much you can save in as little as three minutes at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and Progressive.com. Remember how I was like, that beat is sick, though. Like, those gals are very talented. And so it's like, that's Kendrick. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, now that checks out. Uh, we got some news on Spain and Fitz Nation. Uh, a couple of you guys have been messaging in about the player that it hurt the most to see come back in a different uniform. And at LR Schultz, MLIS, hit us up on the Dr. Pepper call-in line and the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed and said, the Kutch, Andrew McCutcheon, Pirates legend, no matter what uniform he's wearing. And that one hurt for him. Like, I don't care about the Pirates at all, but when I saw McCutcheon in another uniform, that one hurt for me too. It just didn't feel right. And at NWC, sorry, NYC underscore AWR, not the same, but when the former Browns turned into the Ravens and won the Super Bowl within four seasons, it broke my heart. That is that real counts. bad. That, That's that real bad. That's worse than your favorite player. That's your whole team leaving and winning. Uh, we also got a lot of Jordan, Chelios, Chris Bryant, Steve Smith, DeMar DeRozan going to Toronto, Shaq leaving Orlando, Khalil Some Mack Ray Bork leaving in there. Vegas. Oh, uh, never, yeah, Renee Khalil, Bork. Yep. Uh, Peyton Manning, Kevin Garnett, Montana as a chief. That's gross. <laughs> bunch of those bunch of those keep them coming that Khalil That's Mack guy I hear he was good I've never heard of him but I've never yeah. seen him play heard he was good though yeah I heard wherever he was was trash though so I'm, no. bad. I'm glad he escaped yeah, Oakland I don't know anything about Oakland me I, neither yeah. yeah he was in Oakland never heard of it in, never in Vegas uh, we just talked WNBA with Shea Serrano quick thing that I thought was very cool so the Suns-Lakers preseason game was supposed to be 7 p.m. at the Footprint Center, which is where both the Suns and the Mercury play. But because the Mercury have game four of the semi, supposed to be in their home arena, they moved the Suns-Lakers game to earlier and made it a doubleheader. So hopefully anyone who goes early for that preseason game sticks around. 
play against the Aces and also allows the Mercury to play at home in a playoff game. I love to see it. We often see the WNBA getting jerked around in terms of where they play and when for playoff games, even when it's important playoff games. So I'm really glad that the NBA made that work and that the uh, Suns and Lakers made it work as well. So yeah. shout out to them. All in on that, by the way. And, and it's a shame we've seen playoff games on, on floors that don't have the logo on it. So it's important yeah. to get this stuff worked out. It's important for the league and it's important And it for hurts the, the fans trying to figure out where to yeah. go and when. I'm pumped because we're actually off next Wednesday night and the Sky will be at home taking on the Sun. So I'll finally get to go to a weeknight game. I've been missing Ooh. games all season long, but I get to go cheer on my squad in a postseason game, so I'm pumped about that. So that's your WNBA update. Obviously, we'll both be back in, in sync on that Sunday when the games return, and we'll all be watching because uh, our team will be back winning again, presumably. Um, also, I have a quick NWSL update. You know, I wasn't sure if I was going to talk about this yesterday, Fitz, because we do talk about the NWSL on this show more than other places around ESPN, uh, but usually when we have a guest on or some big game coming up or something like that, and not usually wanting to talk about it only when there's scandal, but this sort of broke through and became a big story and continues to be a story. So I wanted to mention it quickly. Yesterday, there was a heartbreaking and disheartening and infuriating story done very well by Meg Linehan of The Athletic about um, the coach of the NC Courage um, and a history of sexual coercion and inappropriate behavior with players dating back to his time with the Thorns. Uh, It was something that was, I guess, investigated, at least in part, he was, you know, let go at the end of the season, but they wished him well on his way out. Thanks for everything. And then he was hired again and has been around the league for a long time and finally was fired yesterday in wake of the newer allegations. But the commissioner, Elise Baird, uh, her response to the following up on the reporting uh, was inadequate. Um, it essentially became a pivot point for a whole bunch of reckonings this season involving almost every team. Um, and that's what's so disheartening about it is how widespread the toxic culture and behavior has been. Um, with the exception of Elise LaHue, who was let go from Gotham and not a lot of details known about exactly why or what she did. It's been a bunch of men in GM or coach positions uh, engaging in toxic behavior. And that's what's most upsetting to me, Fitz, is that these incredibly talented, incredibly successful and inspiring women who are not able to do the thing that they love and that they excel at because of the behaviors of men uh, and not all men hashtag whatever you need me to hear so that you don't come into my menchies and being defensive. Unfortunately, the proof is in the pudding, and uh, there are almost entirely men running this league as owners, as GMs, as coaches, and that needs to change in part because we've seen the behaviors, but also because that's not how a women's league should run, and there's a lot of cleaning up that needs to do. Today, the commissioner and the head council were let go. Uh, There will be a search, obviously, and a replacement there, Uh, but I'm committed as a co-owner of the Red Stars to be a part of a group that's going to make it better. Uh, There's a a, a fear of, of what comes next, and what I don't know and what's still to come. And it'd be easy to, to, to get out and say this was a bad move and I don't want to be a part of it. But I, I want to believe in women's sports. I want to believe in a safer league and these athletes. And I want to be a part of the group that looks around and puts a spotlight in every corner and finds all the people that are not committed to making this better and safer and more successful and deserving of the time and effort and the joy and the talent that these women bring. And anyone who isn't committed to that can get the hell out. And so uh, it sucks. It hurts. Um, I've been upset for the last couple of days and um, I don't know what's next, but uh, at least we're hopefully going to burn it all down and, and move forward from a place where we've actually been honest with ourselves about uh, the way that's been done wrong for, for many years now. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been really excited about this and this, this, this was really hard, but um 
you know, we got to get this stuff out if we want to fix it. Yeah, and quickly, I will say for any person that wants to slide into your menchies and have something to say about this, like, it's way easier to say, what can I do to help prevent this from happening in the future than it is to come at somebody and yell at them about whatever you think your, you know, your stereotyping is or blah, 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 blah. So I would, I would just... I would implore everybody that feels some level of ally in their heart that this is a good idea, a good time to come out and say, hey, how can we hold each other accountable to have better conversations as men to make sure that we're doing a better job? And what can we all do to create a better atmosphere for females? Appreciate that. Really do. All right. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We need to take care of some business on the MLB Bachelor front because we're about to hit the playoffs. And you can't be bandwagoning and figuring out who's going to win the World Series than choosing that team and going against all of the stuff that we've fair already point. done. I mean, that's a so point. We, need, we need to whittle this down. It's time for MLB Bachelor. The journey for love continues. I've been alone for way too long. I'm ready to fall in love. One man, 30 eligible competitors. Sarah convinced me that it was time to make a commitment not going to lie, I have mixed emotions. Who will capture Fitz's heart and win the final rose? Hi, my name is Jason Fitz, and I'm the Major League Bachelor. This is Major League Bachelor on Spain and Fitz. Uh, we are getting very near the end here, and that dramatic music tells you that Fitz is going to make a heartbreaking decision, and somebody is going to go home heartbroken. The remaining teams are the Boston Red Sox, the Cincinnati Reds, the Milwaukee Brewers, the New York Yankees, and the San Diego Padres. We are going to have Fitz eliminate two teams right now because of intangibles. It could be the stadium, the time of the game, the vibe, celebrity fans, just a gut feeling. And then we're going to get down to the final three. We're going to have reps pitch those teams and try to sell them on them. Who are you getting rid of? Well, this, I want to say, was a tough choice, but one of these teams made this an easy choice. Like, one of these eliminations is easy. You're getting to know somebody in the bachelor process, and then you figure out, you know what? You're still the same guy. You said you changed. You haven't changed. You're still a dirty scoundrel. That's the San Diego Padres. They're gone. Wow. Wow. They're gone. You can't can't tell me all this time throughout the course of the whole season that this is different and then be the same San Diego Mm -hmm. Padres. So, Padres, you're gone. And that leaves me one other team to eliminate. This was the tougher decision. I have thought hard about this. And, you know, as beautiful as she is, because I know that she wins a lot, and as beautiful as she is because proximity is nice to Connecticut, I know I could go check out games. I got a lot of friends that are fans. The Boston Red Sox wow. are gone from the list. Like I don't think they're going to love me back the same way I love them. Like mm. I, I don't think the I Red mean, Sox. You're are... a middle-aged white guy. You seem no, like that is fair. Market. That is fair. <laughs> it's a I love looked fair ar- for centuries. <laughs> I, I looked around at some of the Red Sox friends and I thought, you know what? I don't want to hang out with these people. So wow. bang, I'm done. Red Sox, they're gone from the list. All right, that was dramatic. That was quick. Reds, Brewers, and Yankees still in the fight. We'll keep you updated on that. Coming up, you win 103 plus games and you're out. We'll talk about it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz on a Friday. ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Don't forget to tune into an interleague battle tomorrow as the Nationals host the Red Sox. Coverage begins at 3.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. So much tantalizing baseball action this weekend as we have no clue who's going to be in the AL wild card to join us help us try to take a guess at it figure it out and educate a guess ESPN MLB insider Tim Kirkshin on the Goodyear hotline Tim thanks for the time I have no idea either so right good luck. <laughs> baseball is so That's- weird so today they ask us on around the horn who's it going to be I'm like 
I don't know. I'm supposed to maybe use, like, starting pitching. But you never know when a guy's going to have an off night. All right, I'll look at who they're playing. Well, the Orioles are dead last. They probably won't do anything. Oh, I'm sorry, except for they keep beating all the best teams and playing the agent of chaos. Tim, how do you even begin to take a guess at how these four teams are going to shake things out over the course of the next couple days? Well, it's so hard, just like you said. I mean, the Orioles are 36 games out of fourth place. That's happened one time in the history of baseball that a team is 35 or more games out of the next worst team in the league, and they just beat the Red Sox two out of three. The Mariners uh, have been outscored by 48 runs this year, and yet they're tied for the wild card. No team has ever gone to the playoffs having been outscored by 48 runs in a season. This only points again to the beauty of baseball, that it makes no sense. It is way too good to be predicted. So for you or for me to say, I don't know what's going to happen, that's how the game is built. That's why the game is so good, is it doesn't make sense on a nightly basis, including tonight. I can't wait to see what's going to happen this weekend. I promise you we'll slap our head, our forehead several times and go, what was that? That is baseball. I mean, that's part of what I think is so amazing to watch down the stretch. But let me ask you then, without predicting, which two of these teams are the best two teams? Well, that's hard to tell, too. But I like the Yankees because <laughs> they won eight out of nine. The Yankees now have a bullpen that is eight or nine deep with overpowering arms. And once they get that bullpen completely settled, that is a devastating group. Plus, Stan and Judge are really swinging it really well. The Blue Jays, who are in the worst spot of the four wildcard teams, are are an absolutely dynamic offensive team. And when they swing it well, you cannot stop them. The Mariners have won nine out of ten. And every team in this, including the Red Sox, are a viable candidate to not just make the playoffs but to win the first wild card. But I'll have to say I think the Yankees are the best of the group, but only because they have a lead of two games. That's the only way to test it this deep in the season. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to Tim Kirkshin, ESPN MLB insider, ahead of a wild weekend. You mentioned the Mariners. I mean – We've sort of been counting them out and expecting them to go away for a while, which I would say is unfair, except they haven't made the playoffs since 2001. So it's like, why do they deserve for us to believe in them when they've so oft let us down? But you're right, that minus 48 win differential, how are they getting it done? And if they squeeze their way in, is there any reason to believe that they could do something? Well, if they squeeze their way in, they, they've hit the ball out of the ballpark really well in the last few weeks. I mean, Mitch Hanniger has 38 home runs. Kyle Seeger has 35 homers. Jared Kelnick, who's finally come around in his rookie year, has 14 homers. This team is a pretty good offensive team. It's a very good defensive team, and they have three guys in their rotation – who have pretty good stuff, Chris Flexen, Marco Gonzalez, Logan Gilbert, those guys can give you a hard time. They've won 89 games. If they sweep this weekend against the Angels, they've won 92 games. There's no fake in it for 92 games. So if you win that many, you get in the playoffs, who knows what can happen. There are better teams in the playoffs 
than the Mariners. But again, the beauty of baseball is you get in, you have a chance. I mean, Tim, you talk about winning a bunch of games and then having to find your way in. That sounds like the Dodgers at this point <laughs> playing in the NL wild card against the historically hot St. Louis Cardinals if things continue the way they're going right now. I mean, the Dodgers win all these games, still have to play in the wild card. How do they stack up at this point? Well, I think they're the most talented team in baseball, but the Giants have played better than they have, just barely this year. So do not discount and do not underestimate the Giants on any level. But the Dodgers starting pitching is spectacularly good. And if Clayton Kershaw is really good tonight and he was not really good his last time out, then they have four really good starting pitchers going into a postseason. I believe the four best of any team and that's their ultimate strength plus they lead the league and run scored there's not much they can't do but the Giants have played so exceptionally well that there's no telling where this is going from here but I still like the Dodgers as much as any team in baseball but the Giants are going to win this division because we've tried to count them out tried to count them out so many times and they just respond with more homers and more well-pitched games Tim Kirkson with us here on Spain and Fitz. Shohei Otani, the sixth player with 45 homers, 25 stolen bases in a season, obviously has set many records and done many things we've never seen before. Are you okay with the decision to let him sit in what amounts to a very meaningful game for the Angels against the Mariners? Yeah, I'm okay. Look, he's done everything that they've asked. He's done way more than anyone has ever really done hitting and pitching in a season. Now, would, would I like to see him pitch? Of course. He could decide the Mariners' season this weekend with a well-pitched game Saturday or Sunday, and sadly, we're not going to see that. But that's not the Angels' issue at this point. They have to make sure he can give them the same season or something similar next year, and any amount of rest is going to help. But, yes, I'm disappointed that this is that he's not going to pitch this weekend. I was really looking forward to that, but I think if anyone gets a break, it's Shohei Otani. All right, Tim. So let's say we take a time machine back to like, I don't know, May, June, earlier in this season when things didn't look the way they do now. What would surprise you more to hear that the Braves without Acuna were still able to do this or to hear that the Cardinals went on this sort of a run? Well, I'm not shocked that the Braves did this, even without Acuna, because the division isn't very good, even though the Braves have played really, really well for the last month and a half. But no one could have seen the Cardinals one game over 500 in September go on and win 17 straight games. That's happened one other time in Major League history. There was no thought that this could possibly happen that a team that was 2-5 and five in September then reels off 17 in a row. This is what is so great about baseball. I picked the Cardinals to win the division at the beginning of the year, so this is not a shock they're in the playoffs. It's a shock that they won 17 straight in September. The last team to do that was the 35 Cubs. I mean, this has been a stunningly good story, and now the Cardinals are a very, very dangerous team heading into the playoffs. I mean, good story for some, Tim. Who can say what's good, what's awful and terrible and just rubs in what's already been an incredibly painful season for you when the Cardinals are finding success? It's really personal is what it is, uh, I, I think, when it comes to that. Uh, thank you for the insight, Tim. Always appreciate it. 
Okay, see ya. Thanks, Tim. Tim Kirkshin, ESPN MLB insider with us. Uh, didn't didn't seem to have any empathy for me, Fitz, on the old Cubs front. Yeah, well, blame him. Yeah. you know, I mean, he's just focused right now completely Very on focused. teams that ma- matter. That matter. matter. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that gently. Ouch. Coming up, number one, Alabama might have their toughest test of the regular season tomorrow. We'll get into it next. Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And we're just getting you caught up on everything you need to know over the course of the weekend, including a massive slate on the college football spectrum. Like, it is amazing how many upsets we're seeing right now. Uh, New records being set, it feels like, every single week by the number of upsets we're getting in the AP poll. So we're going to get some help breaking it all down. ESPN college football writer Adam Rittenberg joins us on the Goodyear Hotline. Appreciate the time, Adam. You're going to be in South Bend tomorrow. And, you know, this matchup is huge for Cincinnati taking on Notre Dame. Notre Dame hasn't necessarily looked great, but Cincinnati's had their moments as well. So what are you looking for specifically in this matchup? Well, I think what's most interesting, guys, is is uh, Cincinnati going against their former defensive coordinator, Marcus Freeman, who was there the past four seasons. He really built this defense, so he knows the personnel on both sides of the ball. That would be you know, seemingly an advantage for, for Notre Dame. The, and then the issue that Cincinnati, I think, has an advantage is, is at the line of scrimmage. Notre Dame is not the same on the offensive line as they've been in the years past when they've you know, mass-produced NFL draft picks and the like and struggling to run the ball and I think it's an area where Cincinnati should have an advantage. Kurt Heinisch, also on the defensive line for Notre Dame, is going to be out for the second consecutive game with a concussion. So I think that's where Cincinnati uh, may have an edge. But it likely will come down to, to quarterback play. And, and Desmond Ritter, is this his big moment as a, a senior quarterback for Cincinnati to, to shine on this stage? You know, Cincinnati struggled against Indiana on the road, and that's not nearly the stage that they're going to face against Notre Dame. They've been a bit of a slow-starting team, so they're going to have to come out a little bit crisper against this Notre Dame team that's playing with a lot of confidence. I always like to be the devil's advocate when it comes to college football folks saying, this is the game. If they lose, it's over. And then I'm like, but what if this happens and that happens? And we're starting to see that, right, with like Clemson losing, if Bama somehow went down to Ole Miss. Like, all bets are off if things start to get a little chaotic here. That being said, if you were looking at the result this weekend, would you say that this game would decide which of these teams who looks to have a pretty easy slate afterwards is going to the CFP and which one has their run ended with a loss. Yeah, sir. I think this is absolutely one of those games. Notre Dame's not going to get into the CFP with, with a loss, uh, at least, at least as currently constructed with four teams and Cincinnati, as we've seen group of five teams don't get in even when they go in undefeated. So the, the only way Cincinnati is going to get there is to go undefeated and hope for some help. And they're already getting some help honestly, with some of the other conferences struggling, the ACC, the Pac-12. And so this is absolutely an elimination game. And, and it's much bigger in some ways for Cincinnati in the sense that you know, we, we thought this would be Cincinnati's maybe best team ever. Notre Dame had made the playoff two of the last four years. They lost a lot of really good players. This looked like maybe a, a, a bit of a rebuilding year for them. But they're in this position now. And like you said, uh, the, the games that are upcoming that, that look really like a gauntlet, Virginia Tech, USC, North Carolina, looks a lot easier to, 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 to navigate if you're Notre Dame. So this is the, that elimination game, and that's why it should be such a fun one tomorrow. 
We're talking to ESPN college football writer Adam Rittenberg on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So uh, one of the games everybody's staring at, obviously, is Arkansas versus Georgia. I'm trying to figure out if either of these offenses can get on track. When you look at Arkansas, how can they score against Georgia? Yeah, it's going to be really tough, uh, Jason. Now, in talking to Coach Sam Pittman a couple of weeks ago, one thing that he said to me was really almost surprised at how good of a runner uh, their quarterback has been uh, KJ Jefferson. You know, he, he's he's a guy that that uh, you know has obviously sparked them on offense, but but can do things with his his legs that, that maybe have surprised the coaching staff. So they're going to have to do some creative things, maybe a little bit off script, because it's going to be hard for them to win at the line of scrimmage against this Georgia defense, which has just been uh, outstanding. They've been really really good pretty much every year under Kirby Smart, but they seem to be at another level. Uh, right now and so I think it's uh, it's going to take some explosive plays here and there but obviously exceptional quarterback play and no turnovers for Arkansas to I think be in this game at the end. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz talking to Adam Rittenberg about a big slate of CFB games this weekend. Everyone's calling this Alabama's toughest test. Ole Miss even before Lane Kiffin had success against Bama putting up a lot of points and then last year of course that big loss so can they do it? We know. I think uh, Ole Miss, the only team in the nation, top 15 in rushing offense and passing offense, but that's still a very good Alabama team. Is this just a let's get excited about keeping it close game? <laughs> Not for Ole Miss. I mean, they were in that game, even though it was a wild one, and their defense literally allowed almost every yard you could allow in a game. Uh, but I, I, And I think they're better defensively this year. Now they're going on the road. There's no doubt in my mind, Sarah, that this is the type of offense that can beat Alabama. We saw it, as you mentioned, with those previous Ole Miss teams under Hugh Freeze. You, 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 you saw it to, agree, uh, to a degree with Florida this year and even last year, even though their quarterback play was different. And, and Lane Kiffin is such an independent and creative thinker. I think he's going to uh, have this offense making plays and, and, and creating opportunities to score points. Now they're going to have to finish drives. They're going to have to avoid turnovers, which Matt Corral has done a really good job of uh, avoiding so far this year but you look last year he had a six interception game as well so he can't have anything resembling that for Ole Miss to be in this and then de- on, on, on defense we'll just have to see can they make enough plays make enough stops maybe create a turnover or two to get this game into the fourth quarter where uh, where Alabama and their young quarterback and, and a relatively young offense will have to sweat it out a little bit but I, I absolutely think this is the type of team that can beat Alabama. I'm just not sure if they're good enough, especially along the line of scrimmage against what year in and year out is the most talented team in the country. I mean, with that being said, Adam, if you had to bet, you know, Sarah's house, because not, not mine, we're going to bet Sarah's house <laughs> on anybody right now, the field against Alabama. I know that their defenses look shaky a couple of times, but is there any team in your mind right now in college football that's complete enough as a team to actually beat Alabama? Well, I think, you know, we just don't know yet with Georgia because they've had, you know, JT Daniels is out and there's this injury and there's that injury, and we haven't seen them really at full strength on, on offense. We know defensively that they are, are good enough to beat anyone, and if they can perform on offense like they did towards the end of last season when they beat this team, I'll see tomorrow, Cincinnati, in, in their bowl game, I think they absolutely have a chance. I mean, this, this, this Alabama team is, is really good. I think they're better on defense than they were last year, but let's not forget who they lost, all those first-round picks, uh, an experienced quarterback in Max Jones, even though he hadn't played a whole lot before last year. And so I, I don't think Alabama is, is, uh, is unbeatable, but uh, it's probably going to take a, a Georgia team with that defense and a, a better, you know, more complete, healthy offense than we've seen so far to, to actually get it done. 
Spain and Fitz there, Spain. Jason Fitz, uh, you might not know this, but a couple years ago I dramatically gave my heart to Michigan in college football <laughs> bachelorette. Uh, it was clearly not a uh, bandwagon play. In about 45 seconds or less, should I continue to be hopeful that this might be a year that they matter? Uh, is it just the beginning of the end again? What's what's happening? We have to keep trying, Sarah, in dating and all things, and maybe this is the year <laughs> it finally happens. But, you know, this, this is the game. This, I wrote about this this week on ESPN+. Plus. It's the prove-it game for Michigan because Wisconsin's embarrassed them the last two seasons. Michigan hasn't won there since 2001 in Madison. They've been blown out the last four times at Wisconsin, which is really struggling on offense. So if it's ever going to happen, it's set up for Michigan, which has a lot of confidence uh, going against a team that, that's certainly lacking confidence on offense. So if, if not tomorrow, right. you, you got to wonder when it's going to happen for them. All right, that's, fingers crossed. That's some hope. As, opti- as optimistic. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate the time. Appreciate you, Adam. Uh, thanks, guys. It's going to be a massive weekend. By the way, we'll get uh, at least one pick in there. I, I, went, I went against Annabelle last week. She was right. I was wrong. And uh, I haven't, I, she hasn't picked yet, so I don't even know what to do with the college football game I have to pick coming up. We'll do that in about 15 minutes. But coming up, we all know the big matchup of the weekend. Everybody's been talking about it on every single show in the world. Brady versus Bill. We'll get that plus much more from one of our favorite experts next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. And as always, hanging out with you on the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't be, uh, don't afraid, don't. We're just going to wow. try all that again. Wow. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN wow. Sirius XM Happy Channel Friday. 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Don't forget to be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper call-in line. All you got to do is call us, 888-ESPN-888-729-3776. ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. College football's back, so are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. And while I'm on a roll just proving to the world I can read, college football's Mm -hmm. back. Tune in tomorrow night. Penn State hosts Indiana, presented by Dr. Pepper. Coverage begins at 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Save me from reading. In order to do that, we'll go over to the Goodyear hotline where we are joined by our friend Bill Barnwell. Bill, I feel like I've got nine and a half minutes here to talk to you about uh, the Raiders and Derek. No, fine wow. we'll start with some other quarterback named tom brady that's apparently going to some city in boston and people think it's a big deal so i don't know how do you think this whole brady belichick thing plays out i don't know what you guys feel and let me know what you think if you're Bill belichick and you had tom brady in your building for 20 years you watched every practice rep every game you know what tom brady fears from an opposing defense i kind of mm-hmm. feel like he's been preparing for this game for 15 years. Doesn't mean he's not going to stop him necessarily, but I feel that Belichick has the game plan he's been thinking about for a long time when it comes to that game on Sunday. So I think they could give Brady some trouble. Interesting. We had Seth Wickersham on the show yesterday to talk about his new book. It's better to be feared out soon. Pre-order now. And he said the same thing. He said he actually imagined that he could see the Patriots winning that game. I do think it's much more of a bonus for Belichick to know about Brady than the reverse in terms of the scouting report. Mm -hmm. But Brady, of course, has a much better team with the Buccaneers. Um, Let's talk about some other quarterbacks that I think are under significantly more pressure and their teams as well than Tom Brady, who's got nothing to lose, really. And that's the Seahawks, in part, and Russ Wilson, who I don't think has ever lost three in a row as a professional quarterback. How serious is it if they take an L this weekend? I I think it's bad because it's not just taking an L, but 
that division is going so well. I mean, if you lose to the Niners, you're two games back at them. I mean, the Rams could possibly start 4-0 and this week. I mean, that division, it's going to be tough. And I think if you if you don't have a clear path towards winning the division, you can still get in as a wild card, but it decreases your Super Bowl chances dramatically. It decreases your chances of making a long playoff run dramatically. And it eliminates the easiest way for you to get to the postseason, which is to win your division. So I don't want to say it's a must win because they do get the Rams, I think, next week. Um, but you got to figure they have to win at least one of these two games over the next two weeks. Otherwise, it's going to be maybe even a long season for the Seahawks if they start one and four. We're talking to Bill Barnwell, ESPN NFL writer, and you can check out the Bill Barnwell Show podcast, obviously, wherever you get your podcasts. Bill, uh, I'm going to ask you because you always deep dive into things that are different than just the record. You always seem to know who's better or worse than the record. So it's early in the season, but who stands out to you as a team that doesn't really match where their record sits right now? Ooh, mm. I'm not... I feel like you're setting me up to say the Raiders is oh the answer God. to this question. I my feel God. like it's a wow. weird reverse jinx. I didn't wow. know. I thought you were going to go with like the Bengals or maybe that the Colts are better than their record. Like, I thought you were going to do something. Pop. Mm. Bill, I thought we were friends. <laughs> Golly, that's why I... I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll leave the Raiders aside. and I'll say the Denver Broncos. The team that I think yeah. is better than we were giving them, you know, better than we thought heading into the year. But, I mean, let's be honest here. They've played probably the three worst teams in football or three of the worst teams in football and they don't get to play that over the rest of the season i think their schedule is like 15th now in terms of strength of schedule per espn's football power index over the rest of the year so i think they're a good team i really do and i think they're going to be a playoff team because they've already banked those three wins to start the season but wouldn't shock me if they went 500 the rest of the way but if they do hey 10 and 7 that's a that's probably a playoff team so um i, I think the defense is legit I don't know if Teddy Bridgewater is going to be an MVP candidate. Right now, he's playing at that level. So, to me, I think the defense is going to be good. The offense, eh, I'm not so sure. It's Spain and Fitz talking to Bill Barnwell, who's got a great story up on .com right now about rookie QBs. It's not surprising when they struggle, but maybe this much struggling is noteworthy. Last season, we saw Joe Burrow, Tua Tungavailoa, Justin Herbert all have okay success, or great in some cases. Mm-hmm. All of the rookie QBs, Pretty terrible so far. The only win has been against another rookie QB. What are you seeing? I mean, it's a mess. It's a mess out there, guys. Nobody is doing well. Like they're they're struggling in different ways, and I, I kind of think they're struggling more because of what's happening around them in most cases than their own individual ability. But it's brutal. I mean, Zach Wilson, that offense wants to be play action heavy and run the football. They can't do either of those things. And Zach Wilson's just getting trashed in the pocket. He's just getting sacked over and over and over again. I mean, Justin Fields, again, I don't want to dwell on a favorite team of this show, but you guys watch that game. You know how bad that was. That was the worst offensive performance I think I've seen in the last 15 years of covering the NFL. That's how bad it was uh, against the Browns. Very good defense, mm. but not exactly like the 85 Bears or anything when it comes to defense. Um, you know, Trevor Lawrence, we saw last night some great plays, but inconsistency, some off-target throws. You know, I'm not concerned about these guys in the big picture because it's only three weeks, but you would have hoped that maybe at least one of these guys would have had a good offense around him, enough to succeed and then thrive on on their individual talent. But I don't think any of these guys, no matter how good they are, how good they're going to be, has enough around them to overcome the difficulties they're facing right now. So stick with one of them, and and I'll ask the Bears question this time because Matt Nagy obviously (laughs) is constantly in the news. You watch all of this stuff. 
What should Nagy be doing differently? And if he can't get it turned around, does he stick around? I mean, obviously not. If Matt Nagy does not turn him around, he's not going to be there, whether it's in the middle of the season or the end of the year. That one seems pretty straightforward. But I think what he has to do to turn things around is think about Justin Fields' long-term health. I mean, mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter of that game, you know, I was watching him play third and long. They're coming out with a five-man protection. They don't trust Justin Fields to change the protection. I mean, it, it, you just have a defense that's teeing off on Justin Fields in third and long in a game where he's already been sacked like eight times. Like, I think he has to think about the big picture of, okay, it's not just about winning this week. It's not just about competing this week. It's about getting Justin Fields through the game to the following week. I think they have to come out and protect him more, have more six, seven-man protections, more play action, doing things to get the sort of pass rush away from Justin Fields seven yards deep in the backfield. I think if they can do that, even if the offense isn't going to be great, it'll at least be more productive, and at least Justin Fields won't run the risk of suffering a serious injury. You know, it's unfortunate that Andy Dalton is limited, so we don't know for sure if he'll be available. I don't know if Nick Foles is a better choice, but I seem to be the only person that listened to the Bears when they told us he wasn't ready and the team wasn't ready, and he went out and played terribly, and now all of a sudden singing a different tune, all these people that said we were all insane and you should be out there and this is malpractice. But that's a story for another time. Let's talk about Urban Meyer and the Jags because it's very easy to say he's in over his head or it's his bad coaching that's causing this. This is a bad team. They were bad last year. They continue to be bad. When you actually watch the tape, do you see a coach who is not scheming properly or do you see a bad team? Yeah, I think a bit of both. You know, I I don't see guys on the same page. Like I see receivers coming across the field and – they're not on the same page with their quarterback, where one of them is throwing to a spot where they expect the receiver to go, and the receiver stops. He doesn't continue on the route. Um, and, and I see offensive linemen who aren't passing off, you know, uh, defensive end, defensive tackle games or twist correctly, you know, and stuff like that. NFL players know how to do that stuff. It's the question of how are you coaching them? What, what, what are you teaching them to do? And I think, you know, given how many veterans are on that coaching staff, guys like Daryl Bevel, Brian Schottenheimer, former offensive coordinators elsewhere, to me, that kind of points to Urban Meyer being the problem. If it was one guy or just one mess of an offensive line, I'd say, okay, well, you know, that's just the talent level. But to me, I don't think Urban Meyer is getting the most out of even the limited amount they have on offense. And I think that has to be the thing that really concerns you because the offseason stuff happened. Obviously, Urban Meyer was not doing well there. Um, Urban Meyer's, you know, in terms of roster construction, roster management, very skeptical of that. And the one thing you figure he was able to do was run an offense and through four games, I mean, it's been at best extremely inconsistent. You guys can follow him on Twitter at Bill Barnwell. As always, that's where you get the greatness. You can check out the Bill Barnwell Show podcast as well. Bill, as always, I appreciate you. We appreciate your time. And thank you for not throwing my beloved Raiders under the bus. That's really what it comes <laughs> down to. And it's They're okay you threw my Bears week, under right? the bus. I they, mean, they deserved it. I, I feel like, you know what, after next week when the Raiders are 4-0, man. Then, wow. then the praise is going to come, right, Bill? And then they're going to be playing my Bears, and look out. We're going to have it all this figured show, out by then. This show can't then. handle that level of this that. Show is uh, not Bill, be able to just stop us from killing each other next week. That's all I ask, my friend. We appreciate you. Thanks, guys. All right. I, you know, I don't know how I'm going to pick yet. I've still got a few minutes to figure it out because coming up, it's pick five Friday. That means we're going to get you our, Sarah hasn't missed a game in two dang weeks. She is five and zero in back to back weeks. I keep going four and one and somehow I'm losing ground. So all I'm saying is get out your pencils and paper and uh, check it out. We're going to give you our picks and we'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Fridays, we celebrate that we made it. Let's go. 
We made it to the end of another week. That's right. It's Friday. Friday. was a hell of a week we made it you're not wrong we made it and now we uh now we get a weekend's full of tremendous nfl college football wnba playoffs i'm headed to the bears game on sunday gonna figure out if we can get a dub against the lions the fact that that's a questionable is a real problem and uh and then next week We'll be headed to Vegas at this time together. We'll be in Vegas together at this time. I mean, things will be getting weird. A week from right now, things yeah. will just be that getting weird. That crept up weird. quick. Yeah. That crept up quick. Uh, but it is a Friday, which means we got to make our picks for the weekend. I can't remember, Fitz. What was my record last week? Five and oh. What was my record before that? Five and oh. And what was my record before that? I think four and one. Yeah, so I'm four 14 one f- and one. My God. Ow! My That's God. Right. Like, All right, uh, let's see if I can do it again. I Fitz mean, is like, also very good, yeah, but like, not as good as me, so not worth mentioning. What, what am I? I'm eleven and I'm eleven and four here, well, like, and, I, and I'm getting killed. Not as killed. impressive. And not I'm getting killed. Let's make our picks. Giving you the picks that matter. I tell you, I think the Raiders are going to win this game. They're going to win a high-scoring affair. And we're not talking Andy Dalton and Derek Carr picks. Try to wrap your head around that. Time for five pick Friday on Spain and Fitz. So much violence that Stosh chose in that intro, taking out both of our quarterbacks. Yeah, just uh, just just Ooh. right at the knees. We had no idea that was coming. All right, I'm going to get us started with a game that uh, plays by our rules, where we try to find some of the worst teams in the league and assume that they're going to lose. So I've got the Bills beating the Texans. The Bills are a team that I have great belief in. A little bit inconsistent at times, but not inconsistent enough to lose to the Texans. So my, Buffalo's... Going to take this one. Well, you know, we're nothing if not consistent, as I also took that game on my list. Bills over Texans. Just like sometimes you just got to spot the easy ones. And I know somebody gave us grief on that, about that the other day, to which I say, hey, at at the end of the day, all of the checks cash here. So as long as we're going for the easy ones, it's still a win. Absolutely right. What's your first? What's your next one? All right, I'm gonna get uh, I'm gonna get the college football game out of the way here. I will say I took this as my underdog pick this week, but I'm not gonna pick it today because it was just a brazen underdog pick. I think Georgia is gonna beat Arkansas, but I think it's gonna be a really stinking good game. I could see it go either way. I made the commitment to always pick the side of game day. I wish I didn't have to pick this game because I think it's super, stupid close. But I'm gonna take Georgia over Arkansas. Wow. Okay. That is a meaty one. I've seen a lot of people go up on that one, but I believe in you and I think George is going to get the win as well. I'm not making that pick though, because I like to stick to the NFL. I'm going to get to my next one. Green Bay over Pittsburgh. All right. Here's the thing. Green Bay is coming off a spectacular last second, dramatic big time win over the Niners. So a lot of people might think, oh, let down a little bit here. In fact, I think the last spread I saw was only six and a half, which is crazy to me. Against, I believe, Levitard calls him a skyscraper with feet. That would be Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, I just, I didn't have faith in the Steelers. I have even less after watching whatever the hell that was last week. So I'm taking the Packers over the Steelers. Yeah, I'm going to do the same thing for all of the same reasons. I think Big Ben is a liability. And I just like to continue to remind people that I said before the season that he'd be the worst quarterback in the division by the end of the year. So it didn't take long for that uh, to happen. 
as that girl who makes those funny NFL videos whose name I can't remember right now said, he's like my clothes, he's washed. Oh, look at that. All right, I'll go uh, I'll go up again here. I'm going to take the Kansas City Chiefs over the Philadelphia Eagles with their back against the wall against an Eagles team that I think is okay but not great. Let's see how Jalen Hurts rebounds from a performance that I think he regrets a little bit. But Chiefs over Philly in this one. Feel pretty good about it. I made the same pick. I'm a little bit hesitant because we have seen the Chiefs look not Chief-like, but I think that they desperately need this W. They can't take another L in a row. That's just too much. They can't start a season one and three. And also, they are still a tremendous team full of a ton of talent, and I cannot see them losing to an Eagles team whose only meaningful win was against, uh, who did the Eagles beat week one? Some uh, Falcons. Falcons. Yeah, the Falcons. The Falcons. So, no, this is going to be a Chiefs win. They're going to get back on track. Yeah, I'm, I'm all with you on that. You got one more, right? Uh, I mean, I've got I've got two more. Oh, okay. I'm go gonna ahead. go with uh, again. The formula is who sucks, and that's almost always the Jets, and remains the Jets. Tennessee, a team that has struggled at times, started out the season looking terrible, but has beaten some good teams and is starting to regain its strength. And they don't need that much strength anyway to beat the Jets because, again, the Jets suck. So I'm taking the Titans over the Jets. Ooh, I, I am not taking that game only Ooh. because the Titans look like they're basically not going to bring half their team at this point. So. That's a good point. No A.J. Brown, no Julio Jones, but um, they do have a very important player on their side, and that is uh, the quarterback for the Jets, who oh, will be yeah, throwing the ball fair. directly to them multiple times a game. If history oh. precedes anything, I mean, that, uh, I'm that so is, sorry. You're not uh, wrong that, about that. That was like, mean. He's just a kid, and his face is even smaller than a kid. Zach Wilson looks like he's five. I apologize for that, but it's going to happen. I uh, I got to rip the Band-Aid off. One of the rules is we have to pick our favorite team. I don't mm. want to pick this game. This is a really difficult game to pick because I don't know who's going to win, but I have to pick it today. So I'm going to take the Chargers over the Raiders. Woo! And my logic is this. I think that this is a great matchup, but the Raiders secondary over the last couple of games has had some issues with health. There's been a few times that Casey Hayward, for example, has had to come out of the game for injury concerns. Uh, Mullen's the same. This is not. There's not a lot of defensive depth on this team, and as stinking good as I think the defense is right now, that depth, if it's tested at all, will be the difference maker. These are two incredibly evenly matched teams. I think this is a one-score game no matter how you want to look at it. I would love to think that the Raiders win but I just, maybe I'm preparing myself. Maybe I'm too jaded. I feel like this is the sort of game the Chargers eke out at the end. Wow, man, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it. quick question for you. Are yeah. you doing that in part because earlier this season you picked against the Raiders and then they won, and so you feel like, hey, this way I win either way, either winning the picks or my team wins? No, but I did sit down and, and try and go back through all of my picks to make sure that nothing I'm doing creates or de- or disables the correct uh, mojo. And yeah. I decided that since I pick both ways and they're undefeated, I will not be the detriment. I will be standing for the entirety of our show on Monday night, though, just so we know. Yeah, like, like remind the people what that's all about. I mean, a few weeks ago I stood up at the beginning of the game and Annabelle took the seat behind me. And then I was like, well, I'm just going to stand here. And then all of a sudden, you know, I, I didn't anticipate it. The one time I sat down is when Carr went down with an injury. The entire Raider Nation held their collective breaths. I stood back up. He was fine. The breaths? At the, uh, breaths? You said breaths? Breaths. It sounded yeah, breaths. like you said breasts. Well, they may have held that too. And if that's what it takes, that's what we do. Like if I got to hold yeah. my breasts for three hours to win a game, and stand up. then I'm going to hold my man boobs, my moves. And pick against your team. There we all go. those things are necessary to keep the streak going. Cam all is right, really I'm sure 
delayed. producer Cam's like, are we going to have to dump moobs? I don't know no, what's happening. No, no, you, you can grab Considering whether I need to cut that to make breasts. it a drop. Okay, the perfect. exact opposite of what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Grab your breasts and let's go. Let's, uh, just a normal Friday night. I have fits. delayed this for as long as possible, but I, too, am required to pick my own team. <sighs> Listen, the Bears had one yard last week. Bears looked absolutely horrific. People argued that potentially it was a case of malpractice, sabotage. Maybe Matt Nagy somehow wanted his own team to fail. There was no other way to explain just how poorly he set up Justin Fields. Andy Dalton might not be available. Nick Foles is, I don't know, clipboard captain. So it might be Justin Fields out there again with another trash game plan. But it's the Lions. And I just can't live in a world where I pick the Lions, Goff, and Man Campbell, and the knee-biting over the Bears, especially this early in a season when I still want to have some hope to enjoy a couple more games. So I'm picking the Bears. Oh, look at that. I'm like doing that. it. I'm feeling I literally about that. had uh, a friend hook me up with tickets and he said, listen, no one I know is allowed to pay to watch the Detroit Lions. That's how bad it is. <laughs> Freddie and Fitzsimmons coming up. Man Campbell's going to be on along with the rest of the Lions team. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio.